Genesis chapter number 21 tonight. If you've been in the past two services, then you are going to be very familiar with some of what we talk about this evening. Uh, we're going to preach a little bit once more out of the life of Hagar and uh, very likely, although I've learned to not make promises because uh, the Lord has a way of making us look silly when we make promises out of turn. But uh, as far as I know, it'll be the last time for uh, at least for a season that we look at the life of Hagar. But Sunday morning we preached out of Genesis 16 and we talked about Hagar and her fleeing into the wilderness from the face of, of Sarah and how that God found her. Man, I'm so thankful he found me. Amen. And that's not to take away anything from the decision I made to call on him. Uh, you know, it, it is both true at the same time that without him looking for me, I couldn't have found him. But it is also true that even him finding me, I could have turned him away. Amen. And both those things can be true at the same time. He certainly came and found me, for I certainly could not have found him in my own strength. But I did make the choice to believe on him when he found me, and he received me. And so uh, that's what Hagar does in chapter 16. She goes out in the wilderness, and God comes looking for her and finds her and speaks to her. And that sort of becomes the defining moment in her relationship with the Lord. Then 15 years later, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 21. I mean, in the biblical text. I didn't preach that long, amen, but... Uh, it might have felt like it. But here in Genesis chapter 21, some 15 years have passed. And uh, Hagar once again is out in the wilderness. This time she's been cast out uh, by her master Abraham. And uh, she goes out looking for the God that had found her. And we preached on that Sunday night on finding him that found me. And I'm so glad, listen, even when we don't know where he's at, he's still there. And even when we're not sure how to find him, he can still be found. Amen. Uh, and I think we ought to seek him while he may be found. Seek him while it's early. Amen. Don't wait till our life's in turmoil, but seek him the moment that we need him. But tonight I want to take a few moments and I want to look at that passage once more. And I want us to consider it maybe from a little bit different perspective. I want to preach to you about this well that uh, Hagar finds that God opened her eyes about. And I want us to just share a few thoughts this evening. Genesis chapter 21, verse number 14. The Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And I want you to notice that name, in the wilderness of Beersheba, the well of seven or the well of seven oaths. And the water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be in the house of God. May our hearts be fixed on you this evening, Lord. May we have come with the right attitude and expectation of hearing from you. 
And Lord, may we have an obedient, submitted, open heart to you tonight. As you seek to minister your word to us, may we not balk and and bow up against you, but Lord, may we just in humility receive it. May we listen to your instruction. May we apply it or allow you to apply it as we're obedient to your voice. And we'll be sure to thank you for what's done. Lord, thank you for the prayer meeting. Thank you for Wednesday night. I need it deeply in my soul and in my life. And I thank you that we can come this evening and gain encouragement. And we consecrate now these next few moments unto you. May it please you. May you get glory out of everything that's said and done. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on Sunday night, as we said, we preached on this passage of Scripture. And our perspective when we looked at this water and at this well was about Hagar finding the peace of God. And about her in in coming to the Lord and seeking the Lord at a time of great tumult and at a time of great chaos in her life, how that she found peace in God's word and in God's promise. And we even looked at John chapter four, where the Lord Jesus talks about the uh, ministration of the Holy Spirit in our lives, how that if we drink of that water and he associated in John chapter seven, that water with the Holy Spirit. John tells us that when Christ stood up at the great feast and uh, spoke about the living water, and the water that he would give that he spake of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given because Christ had not yet been glorified. And so in John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well about this well of water, that if she drank of the water that he gave to her, it would be in her a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And certainly, man, it's true that we need the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. We find great peace in times of great confusion in knowing even when we don't have a plan that he has a plan and that his plan is perfect and that in his presence there is peace and there is power for what the day may hold. But I want us for a moment tonight to look at it from maybe just a slightly, not even an altogether different perspective, but a slightly different perspective. Because when I look at this weary traveler moving through the wilderness, it's apparent to me the Bible describes her as carrying the child, that she that she threw the child up under one of the shrubs. I'd remind you that Ishmael at this time is uh, at least 15 years old, possibly even older than that, depending on how long it took Isaac to be weaned. And if you do the math concerning when he was born, he's certainly a child up big enough to be traveling and moving under his own agency and his own strength. And the fact that his mother is bearing him and carrying him probably bespeaks the fact that he had just simply grown weary in the way, didn't have any more energy, was exhausted, and probably her would have had no energy whatsoever except just in a mother's heart willing to go forward. She has picked him up and carried him. She throws him under the shrub and she goes a little ways off and sits down. She says, let me not see the death of the child. She begins to cry and to weep. And I fully believe that Hagar had every expectation that in in short time, Ishmael would die and that she too would die from sheer exhaustion and from thirsting to death. She is a weary traveler in the wilderness. And to her, finding water would equate having the strength to both survive and to travel further in her journey. It would not be an overstatement to say to her, water equaled strength. Water equaled life. And when I think about this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that you and I likewise are weary travelers sojourning through a wilderness. 
This world is a wilderness, my friend. I mean, this world is a spiritually dry place. It is a spiritually dead place. But we, no doubt, are called to sojourn through this life. We're pilgrims and strangers. But we wouldn't be pilgrims and strangers if we had wretched home already. So we are called to walk through this weary world. But walking through the wilderness of this world, we, just like Hagar, must have the strength for the journey. tell you, there's a lot of people whose life was destroyed because they ran out of strength. You remember Elijah sitting up under the juniper tree, praying and asking God just to kill him. And he had a lot of things wrong in his life, spiritually in his perspective. But I tell you, part of his problem, he was hungry. He wasn't just hungry, he was hangry. Some of you ladies say amen. You know what hangry is. I mean, he was pitching a fit on God. And one of the things God did was fed him and gave him something to drink and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for thee. In other words, saying... Your problem, Elijah, is you've run out of strength. And I tell you, there's going to be times in life we are going to run low on spiritual strength. We need to know what to do when we feel weary. There's a reason the Bible says, Be ye not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Hey, God wouldn't have to say that if we weren't prone to weariness. We all get weary sometimes. We all just get slap worn out sometimes. We all just get spiritually depleted sometimes. And when I read about this woman by this hidden well, I find a woman who is dying from a lack of strength and God intervenes to give her the strength she needs to get up and to go on. And can I say to you, hey, listen, you may be weary here tonight, but God can give you the strength to go on. And so I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, hidden wells of strength. Here she is thirsting to death beside a well, but she can't see it to draw water from it. And there's a lot of Christians in their Christian walk that are in a similar situation. They're spiritually weakened and depleted. And all the strength they need is their present right beside them. There's a well to draw from, but in their flesh they cannot see that spiritual strength that's available, nor know how to draw from it. I'd remind you in the New Testament a few passages before we look at our text. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he talked about how he was praying for them, that he bowed his knees before the Father in heaven, and he asked certain things for them. This is one of the things he asked, that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. He likewise is praying for the church at Colossae. And here's what he prays for them, that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Sounds like the Apostle Paul knew how important spiritual strength was. He would describe his own struggle with weakness in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he, the Lord, said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Hey, let's pause there, and we might get to Hagar in a minute. Did you notice what Paul said there? The Lord said, Paul, my strength. Tells me this, there's a difference between my strength and his strength. Tells me that there's a difference both in kind and quality and quantity between his strength and my strength. Tells me that I can operate in strength, but be operating in my strength. Or I can operate in my weakness and still be operating in his strength. And in fact, Paul learns that very thing. He says this, that the Lord told him, my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
In other words, Paul, your weakness is not a barrier. It is a blessing. It is it is not a an obstacle, but rather it's an avenue for me ministering strength into your life. And so Paul says this most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. In other words, Paul knew deeply and personally how important spiritual strength was in life. And when we look at Hagar, this weary journeyer through the wilderness, what do we learn about spiritual strength? By that, I mean the strength of the Lord that is imbued into our life as we lean upon him day by day. I want you to notice three thoughts and then we'll be done. Notice with me, number one tonight, the placing of the well that Hagar is beside. Now, just reading our text, you don't really learn much about this well. We do learn that it was at a place called Beersheba. Beersheba literally means the well of seven or the well of the seven oaths. But, you know, one of the things I love about the Bible, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And if you read a little further, you learn why it was called that. It was not Hagar who named it that, but in fact, it was Abraham, the master that had just cast her out, that had named it that. Moreover, it was him that had dug the well. Look at our text chapter and look down in verse 25. The Bible says Abraham reproved Abimelech. Abimelech's the king of the Philistines because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What meaneth these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. In other words, before Hagar ever arrived at this well, the well was already dug. And when we read about this well, we learn some interesting things about this well, about wells in general, but then also about the strength that God desires to give us. Notice two things with me. Number one, when I read about the origins of this well, I learn this, that it was a valuable thing. The Bible talks about the servants of Abimelech, and these no doubt would have been shepherds or cattlemen. They would have been people that were tending to his flocks. And the Bible says they violently took this well away from Abraham's servants. In other words, this well was something that was fought over amongst them because it was a deeply valuable thing. We don't really think about it today. We're living in a society which by and large is is hooked up to water systems and, and water supplies. But there was a time, man, that water rights was a serious thing. I mean, people fought and killed each other over water rights. And if you're in the middle of a wilderness, how much more valuable must that well be? It was no trifling thing to take a well from someone. For to take a well from someone was to take life from someone. And we learn this, that there was much contention about this well. It was a precious thing. It was a valuable thing to have in a person's property. Can I say this? Hey, listen, the strength that God gives us is a valuable thing. Uh, You know, every time we get involved in sin, what we're doing is trading away God's blessing and his strength for a moment of pleasure. We're saying, well, I believe I can do with my own strength for a little while. Now, we don't say it that way in our minds. I understand that. 
But just speaking from a factual perspective, I mean, we all like to think that we're factual and reasonable and rational, correct? Speaking from a rational perspective, what we're doing is saying, I can live without the blessing of God at least for a while, and I can just enjoy this pleasure of sin for a season. What we're doing is devaluing the the, the price, the currency of the strength of God in our lives. Can I tell you something? We don't just sort of kind of need it. We really need it. And it's a precious thing. It is a valuable thing. And the reason it's so valuable is because, number two, it's vital. See, the fact is, for Hagar, it meant the difference between life and death. But Hagar is not necessarily some delicate flower. These men were fighting over this well because for any person journeying in that land, it was a necessity that they have a source of clean drinking water if they were to make this journey. You can look sometime on a map. The wilderness of Beersheba is not a small place. It is a dry, arid wilderness, and it is a fairly vast expanse. And for a person to be able to travel across it safely, they had to have some place. And typically this is true. Just in life in general, wells are dug in places there's needed. Typically they don't dig wells in the Everglades. Typically, you know, typically there's not a lot of well digging done by the ocean. I mean, typically a well is dug in a dry place, a place where oftentimes it is the only discernible means to get any usable water whatsoever. And that tells you this, that that well is no small, no incidental, no passing, no trivial thing, but it is something that is of the utmost necessity. If life is to be had, then there must be water. We understand this from a pure physiological standpoint. A person can go a lot farther and a lot longer without food than they can without water. Uh, We understand a large portion of our body being comprised of water, and God has seemed to imprint it, to stamp it upon his creation, this indelible proof and truth that there is no life where there is no water. When we consider and think about the strength of God, here's part of the problem. We've operated in our own strength, and things didn't blow up immediately. And that's led us to believe that somehow the strength of God is not really all that needful in our life. A great measure of what's broken about Christianity today is people operating in the strength of their own flesh, their own intuition, their own ability, their own resources, and then trying to craft around it a pseudo form of Christianity that can survive on that type of false oxygen giving it life. The truth is biblical Christianity can only survive with the strength of God. Biblical Christianity can only operate and function appropriately through the strength of God. And listen, if you and I didn't need strength in our life, why would God go to such great lengths to ensure that we would have his strength to avail from? See, the fact is, this well was no small thing. It was precious. It was providential. It was valuable. It was vital. It was essential for their life. And I want you to know your life and my life, we're going to be who God wants us to be, having the strength of God, leaning upon Him daily, staying and walking in fellowship with Him and drawing from His strength. Listen, it's not just an ancillary object or thought, just something that is a benefit. It's not just icing on a cake. It's the very bread of life. It is the, it is the very essence. Listen, it's the main thing that we need in our life. We often associate it with the idea of super Christians. It's funny that, that mankind would have concocted and crafted this concept of the super Christian. But we all sort of think of people that way, I guess. We look at people and we say, man, they're really getting the job done. Their life is right. They're living for the Lord. God's doing great things in their life. 
And sometimes, because we've managed to limp along in our own energy, we'll get to thinking that, well, having the strength of God daily, depending upon Him effectually and, and intensely, that's just something for people that really want to take it to the next level. What we've done is we've moved the bar and we've made them seem exceptional when the fact is we're subpar. We've made it seem like they're really getting something spectacular done when the reality is we've contented ourselves with a stunted spiritual condition. The fact is, if our life's going to be what God wants it to be, man, we're going to have to have this well of strength in our life. I see the placing of this well, but then I want you to notice with me the concealing of this well. When Hagar gets to the place where the well is, she cannot find the well. Now, there's a couple of perspectives as to why this could be. And I'm going to be honest with you, if I got to heaven and was to find out that my particular take on this was wrong, I don't think I'd have any grounds to shake my fist at God. There are some people that would say, well, it was just simply spiritually, supernaturally, divinely hidden from her. God put scales over her eyes concerning the seeing of this well. And that certainly is entirely possible that God did that thing. It would be no hard matter for God to do that. But can I say this? We do not have to necessarily jump to a miraculous interpretation or understanding of this to be able to have some probable understanding of how this well could have been concealed. Can I remind you, when God gives us sort of the origins of where this well comes from, that we have possibly a pretty good clue as to why it might have been concealed in the first place. The Bible tells us that about that time, in other words, after God had showed it to Hagar, and who knows, it's even possible that Abraham discovered the well because God had showed it unto Hagar. There's probably a spiritual truth there. Abraham digged the well, then he lost the well, then because God did something in somebody else's life, the well was showed back up and he was able to rediscover it again. Man, I'm glad there's been times in my life that what God was doing in somebody else's life was exactly what I needed to see for the strength I needed in my life. But irrespective of any of those matters, I think it is a reasonable thing to think that probably this well was concealed because the Philistines had covered it over. She takes her son and, and, and throws him, casts the child under one of the shrubs. And it's interesting that God tells her in verse 18, Arise, lift up the lad, hold him in thine hand. And then afterwards, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. It's almost like she went to go pick the child up and then discovered the child, or discovered the well where she had cast the child. And that certainly would make sense, because probably if I was going to steal a well from someone, you can't pick it up, put it in your pocket, and walk away with it. If you're going to take it away and conceal it, you're probably going to have to try to mask it and make it look like the countryside around And I think it's very likely that the Philistines, after they had run Abraham's servants off from this well, probably went and gathered shrubs and dead leaves and trees and covered over that well to conceal it so that the servants of Abraham couldn't find it again. So here's the question. How did this well get hidden? You say, preacher, I want the strength of God in my life. Where did it go? I would say two things about it. One, I would say there's a good likelihood that it was concealed by the enemy. The enemy didn't want Abraham finding it, so he covered it up and made it to where it was hard to find. Can I tell you this? Hey, the enemy wants to see you starve and thirst to death. Uh, we think of the devil as coming shock and awe and just, you know, jumping out in front of us and stabbing us with whatever pitchfork that the Catholics imagine him to have. And that's sort of what we think of him. But can I tell you this? He is more than content to just enact siege warfare spiritually on our life and just starve us out. 
He's more than content to just bring bring turmoil into our lives. And then because of our own foolishness and hard-heartedness, we won't go to God and we won't get the strength we need. And because of that, all he has to do is just sit back and wait for us to thirst to death or to starve to death. And then, of course, there are times that through deliberate deception, and that's exactly what the concealing this well would have been. It would have been deliberate deception. It would have been trying to make it look like something else and make it look like something you didn't need. I'll tell you what you're not interested in when you're traveling in the wilderness. Shrubs. You probably think it looks like every other shrub out there. And how many times in your life have you been going through an arid place spiritually? And people have said, well, why don't you pray and talk to the Lord? And you've thought in your mind, I've prayed to him before. How many times they said, why don't you read your Bible? And you thought, "I well, I've just I've read it before. How many times has somebody said, why don't you go to go to the Lord about it? And you've said, well, I've went to him before. Here's what you're saying. It's just another shrub, just like the rest of the landscape. It ain't going to make a difference. It's not going to help me. It's not going to change me. And, you know, that's part of the design of the enemy to make us think that there's nothing spectacular, useful or potent about the resources that we have. If you let him, Satan, will, he'll draw your eyes away from the spiritual resources we have in the Lord. He'll get you running to every single other thing in society. And listen, I'm, I'm thankful for all the resources that God gives us to face the matters that we, that we face in life. But can I tell you, there's nothing that replaces this book. There's nothing that replaces His Spirit. There's nothing that replaces the prayer closet. Whatever things that God may use to minister in areas of people's lives, none of them displace His precious Word. He's exalted His Word above His name. But the enemy will try to say, why don't you run to all these other things and not go to him? I would say this, it was concealed by the enemy. But then there's another thought here. You know, the Bible says she takes her child and she casts him under the shrub. And I, I could give you some probably kind of interesting definition behind that, but you know what cast means? Cast. <laughs> she threw him. She tossed him. She threw him up under that shrub. And it's not until she goes to retrieve him that all of a sudden she sees that where she tossed her problems down, there was the resources she need to never have to put them down in the first place. I, 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 it's hard to preach this sometimes because the Lord ministers to me while I'm preaching to you, and then I, I want to talk to the Lord about it, but I need to preach to you. <laughs> me and the Lord can talk about it later. Let me just say, sometimes if we just pause before we dropped our problems, we'd find that God will give us the strength to go on instead. Sometimes before we give up, if we give it to him, we'd find he'll give us the strength to never have to give it up in the first place and to just keep going. But here's what I imagine. She takes her child and throws him down, and he now becomes a part of the landscape that obscures the well from her sight. That's why when she picked him up, she saw it. it was because likely he was obscuring her view of it in the first place. I'd remind you who and what Ishmael is in this passage of Scripture, he is the embodiment of her problems. The Bible describes her angst. It's not over herself, it's over Ishmael. She says, let me not see the death of the child. Whenever God answers, he didn't, he didn't answer her prayer because she didn't pray. <laughs> Instead, he heard her problem. He hears the voice of the lad. We talked about that Sunday night. Hey, I'm glad even when I don't know how to pray, he still hears my problem. But he takes and she takes and throws this child down. And now she can't see the well because all she can see is her worry. She can't see the well because all she can see is her problem. 
Every time she goes to look for the well, instead she just sees that child over there thirsting to death. I would say this, the well was concealed by the enemy, but number two, it was concealed by her tragedy. And in our lives, if we're not careful, we'll allow our difficulties, our tragedies, to become the obsession of our life instead of becoming the the motivation we need to come to the Lord in the first place. And I'll not look at anyone going through a trial and say, well, just pretend you're not going through a trial. How do you do that? If you figured it out, tell me. I'd love to know. But I will say there's a difference between recognizing the depth of our pain and using that as a, as a motivation to bring us to God as opposed to obsessing over it and allowing it to suck up all the oxygen in our life. Here what we see in Hagar's life is she couldn't see the well because of the problem that she had. And I'll tell you this, in your life you can let your problem get bigger than God to you. There's no problem you have that's bigger than God. But you can let your problem get bigger than God to you. All of a sudden now, this well, she's right there by it. I mean, you understand, she's standing over the top of the resources. She's a moment between life and death, and life is right under her feet. But she's not drawn from the well. Why is that? Well, she couldn't see it. But then God reveals it to her. Verse 18, Arise, the Lord says, Lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now again, if you believe like I do, I, I probably, and I'm not saying God did not sharpen her focus and attentiveness and, and who knows, maybe God entirely opened her eyes and it would have been humanly impossible for her to see it without that miracle. And that's entirely possible. But I think it's more likely that when she simply obeyed God's command, it put her in the place and the vantage she needed to see the well that had been there the whole time. In other words, we look at it and say, well, how did God reveal the well? Well, he just opened her eyes. That's possible. But it's also possible that through the command that he gave in verse 18, he brought her to a place where she could draw from that well anyway. In other words, what did it take for God to reveal that well? Well, I see that it took two things. One, it took believing his word for that well to be revealed. Look at verse 18. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand. Why would she do that? For I will make him a great nation. In other words, God says that child's not going to die there. I am instead going to make a great nation of him. Here's what Hagar could have done. She could have said, I'm not going to go over and look on him again, God, because I don't care what you say. He's dying and nothing's going to change that. But instead, she said, God, if you say he's going to live, And if you say you're going to make a great nation, then in spite of what I believe, in spite of what I expect, and in spite of what I'm anticipating, I will by faith in your word go back and lift the child up and trust you that you're going to do what you said. Part of the way we draw strength from the Lord is simply by believing his word. I'll tell you this, things don't look so bad when you get in the Bible. If you're saved, things don't look so bad when you get in the Bible. I'm not saying your problems go away, but I'm saying you get in this book and all of a sudden, man, God begins to work in your heart and life and you thought that you were getting ready to perish and then all of a sudden you find out that God providentially has a plan. You see, the truth is, I'm not necessarily, and certainly certainly it is true that God endows spiritual strength to those that place their faith in Him. But I'm not even really seeking to claim anything quite so lofty in this message. I'm just simply saying this. If you will get in His Word, you'll find out things are not as bad as you think they are. 
you believe His Word, if you trust His Word, then you'll find strength from it. I'll tell you something. If you're saved by the grace of God, there's more good in this book for you than there is dread in this book for you. I mean, whatever your life may look like. So how'd she see the well? Well, by believing His Word, one, but then number two, by doing His will. If it's true that she went over and went to pick Him up, and that's when she saw the well, then had she not been willing to obey His command to arise and lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, she would have never seen the well in the first place. I'll tell you, it's a funny thing. We gain strength by obeying Him. You remember what He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take a vacation, God said. No, He said, take my yoke upon you. Take a rest, He said. No, He said, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what a yoke is, right? Yoke is the instrument of servitude for the oxen. It's it's literally what links them to the burden and to the labor and enables them to move it and to labor and to serve and to be of value and to be of use. God doesn't say, if you're weary, take the yoke off. He says, if you're weary, put my yoke on. I believe it's certainly true that our own yoke will bow us to the ground And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But it's certainly true as well that idleness is not what gives us spiritual strength. Obedience does. I see the revealing of this well. Then I just want you to notice it and, and, and we're done tonight. Look at verse 19 and notice the drawing from the well. The Bible says this, and God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And then, let me pause there and say this. If it had been like it would be for most Christians, it would finish by saying, and she turned around and walked away. Because that's what most Christians will do. Even on a Wednesday night in prayer meeting, that's what most Christians will do. Weary, struggling, need help from the Lord. The Lord shows you a well. Will you drink from it? Most Christians would say, huh, boy, that's some well, and turn around and walk off. She did not. What did she do? She went and filled the bottle with water, gave the lad to drink. In other words, by obeying the Lord, by trusting Him, by doing as God expected, and by being willing to receive the help from the Lord that the Lord wanted to give her, her problems were dealt with. She drew from the well and the water was sufficient. Notice two things about it. One, it saved her lad. The Bible says she filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. Remember who the lad is. The lad is Ishmael. It's her son. Remember what he represents. Her problem. Her biggest problem in life was that child that was dying. Whatever other problem she had paled in comparison. This was the monumental problem in her life. And you know what? The water was enough to deal with the problem. Just one drink and that child inched further away from death. And further towards life. Another drink. He got a little closer. Another drink. He got a little closer. We could read on in the text. You know what we'll find out? The Bible says that God was with the child. And he grew in the wilderness. In other words. Drawing from the water. Saved her child. And solved her problem. I'll tell you this. Whatever problem you're facing in life. The strength of God is sufficient for. The help of God is sufficient for. That hidden well. That the enemies tried to tell you. Is not there That he's tried to convince you is not available. It is there. The strength of God is there. If you'll trust him. If you'll obey him. If you'll walk with him. It is there. And it's sufficient for your problem. I see it saved her lad. But then I see number two. It sustained her life. 
I like what she did. She filled the bottle. I'm a y'all. I don't know if y'all. I, I, any of y'all go to restaurants ever? Bunch of liars on a Wednesday night in prayer meeting is what you all are. I'm a to-go cup person at the restaurant. I mean, I've done paid $3.50 for this drink. I could have bought six two-liters for that. So you better believe when I leave, I'm getting a to-go cup to take with me. It's only fair, right? They ain't hurting. That would be all right. That's why they don't charge you for it. But pro tip, always make sure you ask after they brought you the check. That way, just in case they get cute, They'd have to write you a new check to charge you for it. No, instead, I, you get that to-go cup. You know why? Because I ain't just going to be thirsty at the restaurant. I'm going to be thirsty in the car. And if I'm going to have the water, like I ever drink water at a restaurant, if I'm going to have the sweet tea for the journey, then I'm going to get me a to-go cup. You know why I'm anticipating being thirsty in the future? And I'm cheap. You know what this water did? It didn't just fix her problem. It sustained her for the journey. She didn't just take a drink. She filled the bottle. She knew she wasn't just going to need water today. She was going to need it tomorrow. And you know what we find? We find not only did Ishmael survive, she survived too. You know what tells me? That water was enough. It was good. It met the need. Not just the need of the hour, but the need of the day and of the week and of the month and of the year and the need of her life. And I'll tell you this, there'll never be a time you don't need his strength. It's sufficient for whatever monumental, earth-shattering, life-ending problem you happen to be facing on this Wednesday night. But can I tell you this? It'll be good even on your good days. It'll be good on your boring days. It'll be good on your best days, and it'll be good on your worst days, and you'll need it just as much during those journeys through lush lands as you needed it in the dry, wasting, howling wilderness. So here's the question. Has the enemy hidden the well from us? Have we refused to believe him, to trust him, to come to him, to seek him? And if that's true, why don't we let him open our eyes through our obedience to him tonight and our faith in him? And why don't we draw deep from that well and gain the strength that we need? Let's bow together tonight. Musicians going to come and play. I, I want to invite you to come. I, I'm not trying to pad an altar call. I, I promise you I'm not. You just mind the Lord. You do what the Lord wants. But I will remind you that if you're thirsty tonight, looking at the well won't won't satisfy. Looking at the well won't satisfy. Drawing from the well will. Acknowledging the well won't satisfy. Drawing from the well will. Drinking from the well will. Whatever it is that you're going through, it's not just sitting back and in a speculative, theoretical way saying, well, Lord, you know, that's good that it's there. That's good. I appreciate that. No, but it's drinking from the well is what meets the needs. So why don't you come meet him in the altar tonight and ask for the strength that you need for the journey. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.